Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking Podcast. You know the drill, write a review, share with a friend, subscribe, help us grow. Today in the booth, for the third time, we got returning champ Mike Ponto, an entrepreneur and a member of the right. Today we get into all things critical race theory. And falling within that, we get into the actual definition of it. We talk about the 1619 Project. And lastly, we get into uh, historiography. Why and how is history written the way that it is? So kick your feet up and enjoy. We're back with what is it? The third time you've joined, Ponto. I'm, I'm glad, glad to be back, and thanks for having me. It's always a treat when you come back around. Um, but it's you're back this time. G's here. That's the only difference. But it it feels like you never left, man. Genesis, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, this is good. this is gonna be fun. I G, I'm excited for for you to be a part of this conversation because we're gonna let this one just flow, right? We're going to probably just okay. open it up for one major topic. But um, for those who, you know, missed Mike on the, on the last, you know, two times we've had him on, you know, he, he came in, uh, you know, we call the episode in defense of conservatism. He was born in a Republican household, not a Trump guy, but certainly, you know, follows many of kind of the doctrines and helped us like walk the line of understanding. And we've been talking offline around critical race theory, which for some of you, uh, might be a new thing. Mike, uh, I'm going to lay out some lines about, you know, what we've kind of come to terms around it. But do you want to give uh, the audience a little background around like when it first kind of came to your um, spectrum of, you know, how it was being talked about and how you kind of deem it? Yeah, happy to. Thanks again for having me back. Um, uh, I Critical race theory seems to be, and, and like, you know, let's, let's go to the ABA definition and kind of get in some technicalities. But I feel that the right is looking at CRT as, a, um, as the vehicle by which the, the academic thinking around systemic racism is being taken and then put into the uh, school system. And it's like, and like, and so it's like the, it's like a bunch of, uh, it, it's an, it's an amalgam of, I believe that the, that the right views it as like an amalgam of kind of progressive like ideas right now uh, that are moving from like an academic discourse or something in the media to a body of notions that are being uh, moved into school curriculum. And so I don't, I, so I, I'm looking at, so I think the right looks at CRT as the, the moment by which all of this, but by the moment at which current progressive uh, social thinking and racial thinking is moving from academia or from media into the school system. And so that, that I think is like, if you ask like a Republican person who's up in arms about CRT, I, I believe it's, it's those things. It's, it's when it's been branched from academia and, 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 and uh, sociological thought to school curriculum. That, that, that's how I, that's how I understand the right pushback to be. Got it. So I'm going to pull, and for those who want to, on their own time, look up, you know, kind of follow, uh, we pulled this article from the American Bar Association, a lesson on critical race theory. And kind of one of the top lines is, you know, critical race theory recognizes that racism is not a bygone relic of the past. 
It's a longer article, but there were some top line bullets uh, I'm going to share. So one is recognition that race is not biologically real, but is socially construction, constructed and socially significant. Another is acknowledgement that racism is a normal feature of society and is embedded within systems and institutions like the legal system that replicate racial inequality. This dismisses the idea that racist incidents are aberrations, but instead are manifestations of structural and systemic racism. The next one is rejection of popular understanding about racism, such as arguments that confine racism to a few bad apples. Um, and then recognition of the relevance of people's everyday lives to scholarship. This includes embracing the lived experiences of people of color, including those preserved through storytelling and rejecting deficit-informed research that includes the epistemology. God, I can't say that word. Ed, help me out here. <laughs> Epistemological. I knew that's your big word there. A people of color. So there's a lot more to it, but um, yeah, that's some of the top lines. Ed, where... You know, you want to add in a little bit? Yeah. Critical race theory is like 50 years old, but it's it's been, I've been pretty surprised to see it um, kind of just be in top line stories of a lot of conservative publications or um, kind of media outlets. It's, I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating to me. I think what's really going on here is well, there's two things happening. Critical race theory is really old and it's not what people think. We can go into that. But the other thing is, this is about the 1619 Project, is it not? Is it not just about the 1619 Project? I mean, you know, yeah. the, the the big brouhaha around Nicole Hannah-Jones and her getting like this this tenured appointment at at her alma mater um, uh, in, in North Carolina. That's one thing. But the 1619 Project came out in 2019 to say it's been 400 years since the first, you know, 20 Africans came on the shores of Jamestown, Virginia. And if from there on out, and there are things that I disagree with about the 1619 Project, and I, I'm happy to talk about that as well. But it's, it's basically saying, hey, there's this longer continuity around uh, things that have been put in place that are as old as colonial America that's still affect us to this day, uh, specifically the experience around black people in America. And she has all of this, this sort of uh, anthology of articles from historians and journalists, but there was big pushback from other more conservative historians, namely Sean Willens, who's, you know, world renowned, who, who I fucks with, brought up some good points. Um, but there was pushback around that, but she ended up winning the Pulitzer and then creating a sort of a, a, a putting it in curriculum form for educational institutions, for some high schools that want to implement the 1619 Project to better flesh out uh, their teachings around um, American history and all of its ugliness uh, to give better context to the present. Uh, but you can just imagine that that didn't go over well uh, with a lot of the country, in particular, probably majority Republican states. Um, and I think that that is really where uh, it popped off, and then I think it, it, it that got rebranded into this is critical race theory. This is some like crazy, uh, you know, uh, plot to indoctrinate children and make them hate themselves. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it it's just it's a it's a long sort of runaway train and hate America and hate America and and, and that's like you know, the big thing. And it seems there seems to be a lot of things that have been conflated here to create this bigger clusterfuck, um, which you know I love teasing stuff out. 
Uh, so, so you know, I, I did it a little bit there, but that's kind of the the sequence of events that I've seen that's led us to to, to today. Ed, and I, before before we let Ponto talk, I just want to say one thing, which I didn't even realize, but the sixteen nineteen projects heavily always mentioned in this, but it's actually not technically even CRT, which is the interesting thing. It's not, but, um, which is which is the biggest issue. But you know, when I'm reading this last thing, I, w- I would or that the first thing I said. Critical race theory recognizes that racism is not a bygone relic of the past. To me, and Ponta, I'd love to hear from you, but it seems like the fact that it's saying that racism isn't over um, on a systemic level is a big, seems to be a big issue from the right. And the second is the feeling that it's teaching kids to hate America. So I'll let you respond. Sure. Okay. So, so thanks for setting that stage. Um, so here's, I kind of wanted to kind of just like sequence this because you're right. It, this is like truly a clusterfuck. And I don't think anyone on the right is actually debating the academic merit of critical race theory as it was presented as an academic theory. We're, we're, we're like downstream of that. And it's being used as this, it's kind of like, like I said on the call, it's being used as like, like defund. It's almost like a flag, but it, it but um, so here, so, so as a matter of like kind of sequencing, first thing is like, I understand critical race theory to be the theory of uh, systemic racism, the no, advances the notion of systemic racism. The notion that an institution can be racist, that that racism is not just an individual person's act, but that an institution can be racist. And uh, so that's the so assuming you follow me on that, that that critical note, that critical race theory advances the notion that there is a thing of systemic racism. There's a lot of people. uh, So I'm just going to kind of articulate what the rights pushback would be point by point. So the first point would be a lot of people on the right disagree with the notion of systemic racism. I'll give you an example. I think a lot of people on the right would say that LAPD in the early 90s was potentially a racist organization or was an organization that was holding racism not at the individual level, but at the institutional level. I think people on the right would potentially agree with that. People on the right, however, struggle with the notion to say that, say, take Chicago or, or, or Baltimore City in, uh, education, for instance. You might have a black mayor and a black city government and a city that's primarily black in a educational system that's run by black people for primarily black students, yet that institution is racist against black people. And I think that, I'm just using it as an example, there's people on the right that struggle with that intellectual exercise to say that, how could that institution be racist? Uh, and and there's, a, there's, a, there's other pushbacks, and I just use that as one example. There's a bunch of pushback on the right against the notion of systemic racism uh, and and that it and 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 at the level to which it is pervasive in our culture, and I think that some people on the left advance the notion of systemic racism to the point where, you depending on how you define it, like uh, for for instance, like like the, like the, like I, I was listening to an example the other day on conservative uh, on a conservative podcast and said like uh, that 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 infant mortality among inner city black. Uh, people is higher than the statistical average in America. That 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 black women have a higher infant mortality rate, which is tragic. Um, but the, the reason, for instance, for for the high infant mortality rate can is often behavioral. It has to do with things like diet, lifestyle, stress, and other kind and other kind of behavioral things. That behavioral things tend uh, stem back to la- la- lack of healthcare and education, which has to do with uh, generational uh, generational poverty. Generational poverty often stems back, can stem back to, to redlining and housing policies, which stems back to racism. Therefore, 
the, 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 these, these tragic rates of infant mortality are due to racism, for instance. Like, like that kind, applying that kind of heuristic, heuristic means that almost every single uh, undesirable uh, uh, social experience, for instance, in this case of black people, uh, of impoverished black people, is due to racism. Um, and that notion, Republicans struggle with. Okay, so that, that's the first thing, is that, is that the right struggles with the notion, some of the applications of, of systemic racism. LAPD in the early 90s, potentially a racist organization. All of America's institutions currently being racist, the right struggles with that. So, the, so CRT being the notion of systemic racism, there's disagreement on the right. Then the next part is, is that you take it and then you curriculumize it. Or that's not a word, but you, you make it an educational curriculum and then you put it into students. The right is very wary of changing the way history is taught. The right is very wary of revising the narrative of our people for a couple of reasons. First, who's revising the narrative? Sometimes the narrative gets to be revised. Bill Cosby, for instance, an overwhelming uh, uh, consensus that, you know what, the way this particular thing was taught was erroneous. The brontosaurus wasn't a dinosaur and Pluto's not a planet. We have the ability to change how certain things are taught, but there needs to be overwhelming consensus. Uh, there's a reason for this. In the last 200 years, the right is really nervous about communism. And I, I explained this in my earlier thing. A deep part of the right is a reaction to communism. The times that the public record has been changed and the history has been changed in the last 200 years typically precede a, a period of Marxist death. And I know that that sounds crazy. That sounds, that sounds like an alarmist thing to say. But it happens. And when the public record, because of changing public sentiment, when the history books are changed, the right sees a bunch of red flags. So the second thing is like, so we don't do systemic racism. There's not consensus on. And then the second thing is the right is very wary about revising the history books. And then the third thing, the third level would be, OK, so say there is consensus on the history books. What do we want to change here? And it, it's like the nature of changing the narrative, the 1619. This is where we go from CRT to systemic racism, the 1619 project. When you're changing the way. America thinks about its own history. The 1619 Project, as the right sees it, is advancing this narrative of, of shame and guilt on our, on our, on our, on our American history. That, that is a troublesome thing. America, for the right, for the right. America, the right loves that sense of American optimism, the fact that American exceptionalism, the fact that Americans are, are like off the charts more optimistic than anyone else. And somehow from our messy and ugly and, and, and violent past, we have derived this narrative that we are special on this earth. The right derives a tremendous amount of meaning from that. And there's other reasons. I, I can use examples like, I don't know, the, anything from the 12-step program to how I think it's sound or reasonable that a person goes through life. I think that everyone's personal experience would show that it is, it, it's not a practical way to go through life thinking and dwelling on the shame and the things that you are regretful of. Be mindful of those things, learn from those things, but be proactive and be and have a path moving forward. So this is going to bring my final point. My final point is that I, a pushback of the right is that this is not a path forward, is that it doesn't seem to be a solution for housing, access to housing capital, uh, investment in black entrepreneurship, venture capital going to, to black businesses or venture capitalists being themselves being black. Like, you know, I don't know, like access to education, healthcare, so forth. Like this seems to be for the rights perspective. This entire exercise is one of assigning blame and revising the history books 
rather than providing constructive solutions for problems that genuinely the right actually is cognizant of. The right is aware that there's generational poverty in, in inner cities, that it disproportionately affects black people. And personally, I think it's tragic. And I would be so inspired, I think many Republicans would be as well, to focus on a series of plans that were saying like, well, here's how we're going to get some investment to businesses. Here's how we're going to get access to housing capital. Here's five other things that are proactive and forward looking rather than, you know what, actually, we're, these problems are lamentable. Let's spend our political capital and turn our wheels right now assigning who's guilty, who's to blame for it. And let's assign blame before we get to solving the problems. That, that is another pushback on the right. So systemic racism, there's disagreements. Revision of the history books and how we teach them, uh, there's, there's disagreements on that. There's red flags generally, I think, for any revision of history. There's a skepticism of taking the American story and all of its optimism and layering on it a big, thick layer of guilt and shame. And then there's a sense on the right that there's no path forward here. That, I think, is the right's opposition to all of this sequenced. But there's a whole bunch of other things we could bolt on at various points of that narrative. That's the longest I'll speak uninterrupted here on this podcast. Thanks for <laughs> <laughs> Mike, as you were speaking, I was thinking about like my experience growing up in Mississippi and the education system there, how it was so whitewashed you know there there was a point where you say that the right is aware of generational you know poverty generational you know uh, sis, you know coming back to systemic racism but like that wasn't my experience growing up with folks who were on the more conservative side it was more holding on to that narrative of like you were saying that american pride uh Confederate pride in this case as well, and holding on to those tropes and narratives that are negative depictions of Black people as to why we are in the state that we are in, and not drawing it back to systemic racism, but choosing the narrative of all of the negative stereotypes about Black people, and this is why Black people are struggling and holding on to that romanticizing glorification pride in America, um, an alternate reality, an alternate history that was not based in facts mm -hmm. at all, you know? And so it was like growing up, but I was taught, um, I mean, I wouldn't, cons I didn't consider it critical race theory in my household, but I was, you know, taught or not, Howard Zinn and, you know, like actual facts about history of like how America was created. And then I would go to school and get a whole different side, you know, and I know that my upbringing isn't unique in terms of being a black young person in America and struggling with these two alternate narratives, because, you know, that old saying about who writes history. Um, so I think that when you have such a polarization of understanding of what history is that it is much harder to be solution-based and to get things done if we're not all on the same page of what history is right yeah. so if if i'm if i'm teaching um all american young white boys who will eventually grow up to be american white men and uh disproportionately you know um have power and make decisions about policy and all these things. If I'm teaching them an alternate reality of, of history, then they, when they come to p these positions of power, they are going to be less likely 
to be on the same page in terms of solution-based action on how, how we do solve some of these issues. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that's what I was thinking about as you were speaking. So, so Jen says, um, we, have, we should have a conversation. So uh, my mother's mother's maiden name was Lee, going back to Robert E. Lee. My family actually has part of its tradition is the, is the co- Confederate cause. Sure. And what you did with with Mississippi turning and and I've listened to a number of your interviews, I find it actually riveting. And I've personally reexamined my own relationship with that. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I a big fan of your work and and uh, oh, I, I find what you've done inspiring. And I can personally relate to having brought up with a with a version of the Confederacy that was one of freedom. Sure. Um, and and I've revised that. Um, but let me I'm going to use I'm going to respond to your thing. So it's a question then of so it, like. So it's like kind of where in this whole clusterfuck do we want to start pulling on the threads? And if you want to pull on the thread of what is the narrative of American history, which I think is, a, is not the only thread of this whole thing, but I think it's a really interesting one. Ed's a historical minded guy, so is Mike, so, 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 so that I think is an interesting one. I'm going to use an analogy for this, and it's going to feel playful, and it might even feel a little like, like I'm being crass, but I don't mean that. You could look at the storming of Normandy. An event in, in you know American prominence, big gift that America gave to Western culture, you know the Eisenhower and, and the coordinated attack on the French beaches. It would be very reasonable, or it would be logical to look at the at the storming of Normandy and to say, you know what, I think trans rights were not were not respected in the storming of Normandy. Actually, I think that 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 trans people were omitted from the planning of the invasion and that they were probably treated terribly. I actually, without even inquiring into the historical event, I am 100% certain that trans people were treated abominably, abominably in the storming of Normandy. And so were black people, and so were Asian people, and so were gay people, and so were women. However, the 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 narrative, the thing that we take away from that, you know, history is vast and complex, and and there's only certain, and like you you can only efficiently teach the history of a people in small little anecdotes. And so I use that as a playful example to say that history itself is rife with examples. It, you can't teach one story that actually holds everything together. And I think that the American story is so messy and ugly, and there's so much ugliness to it. Yet we have taken from it and distilled it. And by we, there's probably not even consensus on the who the we is here, because you know who's we? That what is the American story? I'm not sure that there's consensus on that necessarily. But the right's pushback on this, on the notion of CRT here is not that you're wrong. It's not that black people didn't have a terrible experience or that all of these other terrible things didn't happen. The trans people were treated terribly in Normandy, most likely. Again, to use my playful and potentially disrespectful analogy, I don't mean it that way. But that the, the essence, like when you boil it all down, that America is excellent, uh, that, that America is exceptional, uh, and that America has the, it took the ideals of the Enlightenment pulled the world out of this monarchic world that was extremely anachronistic and that we drove, you know, progressive, that we drove humanity towards a progressive direction. And I think that that part of the American story to, to, to encumber that with shame, the right, the right is quite nervous of that because we feel that that's our special sauce. But Genesis, to your point, there is so much ugliness in the American story. I would love to know how to teach our youth how to take how to hold the best ideals close and then and then draw counsel from the terrible and egregious mistakes we've made of the past. That would be the ideal way forward. But the right feels that the 1619 project goes too far 
and encumbers and, and, and creates too much of an obligation. And that to teach things like the Normandy thing, for instance, and but also, you know, recognizing all the people that were hurt in it, that you would have a curriculum that would be many, many years long just to even cover even, you know, more short time periods. Potentially, I, I spoke in a disrespectful manner just then. I tried to bring a, a playful analogy because I find sometimes analogies work, but I hope I made a point there. I get your point, Mike, but it's also like a point I could imagine like a conservative radio host using because it's so incendiary because it knows its listeners the second they hear the word trans are going to like lose their shit, right? And I think this is what happens with a lot of these examples. There's like boogeyman, like playful, like clauses to bring about like, you know, I was using, I, I told this analogy and this is around like equity, but like the all in podcast guys, like David Sachs, like libertarian hero, you know, on the right they were like bemoaning equity and trying to be like, what are we going to do here? Or suddenly like, are we going to lower basketball hoops so like white men can dunk? And it's just like, it's false equivalencies of like what we're talking about. And I'll let you jump in. It seemed like you were primed to say something. No, I was just this, the the history, the the points that you hit, uh, Ponto, and just, a, just about history now, like this, do, have you all heard of the term historiography? No. No. You know what that can is? You, can you describe what it is? I don't know. I got you. I got you. Historiography um, is the study of the methods of how history is written and who writes it. It's it's like historiography is the history of history. You know what I mean? So it's the way that history is created, it is not just sort of some unison marching forward and every historian is like, we all agree that this is the narrative that we're going to land on and we're all going to simultaneously put in textbooks for children to learn. Historiography says that the writing of history has always been a fight. It has always been a contentious fight around who's writing with what agenda since, since you know, American, the American industry of history really started with, 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 the, with the lost cause, with Confederate his, historians rewriting the Civil War. That is like the birth of the American industry of history, in fact. So then you get more liberal historians coming in and fighting about it in the 50s and the 60s and 70s. But it was always a fight. And this is no different when we talk about the 1619 Project. The difference between the left and the right, though, is that the left is self-critical. You're right. Uh, Ponto, there are ridiculous people on the left that are trying to rewrite history in a ridiculous way. But the difference is that there are historians and academics on the left that push back against those people under the same tent versus the right tends when they write history tends to be very uncritical and very, you know, write it in the way of almost a bedtime story about how we were so amazing, we never did anything wrong. Um, that's the difference between the left and the right and how history is created. But Sean Wilentz pushing back or, or writing, not the 1776 Project, but that's not what Sean Wilentz did, but the actual historians that push back against the 1619 Project in legit ways that Nicole Hannah-Jones then conceded was correct and then they, and they you know, printed retractions or whatever. Like that is how history has always been, always. This is not new at all. So this is the natural way of which how history is created. That's, that's one thing about historiography that I, I think the right mischaracterizes in saying, you wanna create this like fictional history of where we're all ashamed of ourselves. I mean, but, but that's one thing, but I, I want to tease that out against critical race theory. Critical race theory, by its very defini definition, 
is not to assign blame to any group of people. You know how how far read off the points saying that race is is not biological. It's it, in fact we've mapped the human genome and there are no racial genes. This is a social social and political construction for specific purposes. That's number one. So we can talk about you know whiteness studies. We don't don't need to get into that. But like who's white and who's you know what I mean. But the the second point around how institutions like you you laid out really well, Ponto, institutions can be racist. That is necessarily taking the blame off of people because if institutions can be racist and you create and and you laid out the example of the black city with the black police commissioner, with the black city council, with the black teachers, and yet black kids can still face and and suffer from disparities. That is very much the definition of that. No, no particular group is necessarily left to blame. It is that institutions that go unchecked can perpetuate disparities from the past. So CRT, which is a legal framework, which has nothing to do with high school history. In fact, this is law school stuff. This is advanced law yeah. theory saying that, hey, uh, it was it was developed in the 70s for a reason, because what happened in the 60s? All of the civil rights acts, right? 64, 65, 68. And then we're getting deep into the 70s and the 80s and we're saying, wait a second, we did all this shit. Shit's still kind of fucked up. Maybe we should look into this. What's actually going on here? So it was the development of saying, hey, legal scholars, there seems to be something going on here. There seems to be that racism is embedded at an institutional level, uh, which seems to be really foundational to a lot of institutions. And and if we go unchecked and if we don't account for the fact that um, these institutions are problematic and we only go with seemingly objective policies or colorblind policies, we are going to effectively perpetuate the the disparities or the inequality that is already in American society. That is what critical race theory is. It's at it's at the law school level. So yeah. recasting it and saying 1619 is this is complete bullshit. And it is, you know, I don't want to, you know, it 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 is of a campaign to try and get the house back in 2022. Sorry, I just dropped the bomb at the end there, but we can yeah. talk about that. But I would, the last thing that I, w- I would say is history that is unflattering and recasting it as as this sort of a scary term. Critical race theory does sound pretty scary, and it is a great talking point to to get people to flip the fuck out. But you know, you have to separate this very you know uh, this legal framework from the 70s that nobody is reviving outside of law school. And then saying that it is 1619 Project and, and, and trying to basically use it as a cudgel to say any flattering history shall be vanquished. And let's get back to the good old American except, exceptionalist narrative. Like these are two things that just, you know, not they're not the same things. Can I um, can I ask a question? Man, I'm thinking about to go ahead. Ask a question. I have, I have a point. I got to say real quick, though. Real yeah. quick before you ask your question, actually, <clears throat> I think it's really um, like it's entertaining me. Like I feel entertained right now um, about this concept of some folks on the right feeling like this is going to bring shame, you know, into the the youth is going to feel so much shame. That's such a huge projection to think that that's what the outcome is going to be. You know, like I. 
I'm an American. I love America. And I've been taught critical race theory my whole life. And I'm not the exception. And whether you allow it to be in schools, like to me, it's just like a, a projection of like, okay, this is how the right feels when they learn what systemic racism really is and how it has affected America. It's a projection and it's a loss of faith or a lack of faith in the youth is really what it is. And I want and need to control, right? Control how things are presented. When in all reality, even the education system, that's not really where, where the majority of the education is coming from, from young people. Like, you know, I got nieces like who are all under 20 and they learn more on TikTok than they do <laughs> than they do in the, in their school system. So like there's no way to actually control how critical race theory is going to be funneled to young people. You know, like they're already getting this from all over the net. Like the the days of trying to control access to information or control the framework of understanding in which is presented is is so over. It's just like entertaining to think like people still feel like think that that system and structure, you know, holds that much weight. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. Cause it was tickling yeah. me inside. Yeah. I think it's, I think it, I, I think we should all be so lucky that whatever we teach in school sticks with them <laughs> forever. <laughs> like, I think that that would be, that would be probably a positive outcome uh, if schools work that well. Um, so an, another, an, a, a feedback that a pushback that again, and again, like I'm not saying, I don't necessarily agree with all these things. I, I'm just the mouthpiece here of the right. A, a, a pushback point of the right is that this is that this. I'm going to see if I can articulate this properly. That the, all of this, that that taking 1619 plus CRT plus the notion of systemic racism and then teaching and teaching and teaching and and, ch and changing school curriculums, that this perpetuates an obsession with race in America, and that actually, you know, what we want to. The real goal here, you know, they, the right will quote Martin Luther King and other things, and says that the goal here is a post-racial society where everybody's race, where everybody's blind to race, where race doesn't even matter. Yet, if we keep teaching all this, we're going to perpetuate an obsession with race. What, what's your take on that? Uh, like, that, 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 are you aware that the right feels that way? And, and have you come across that, that pushback point? Yes, that's a good point. We, if you didn't talk about it so much, you know, the, you, you're seeing it in everything that you do. You know, you're, see, you're, you're, you're reading racism into things where there's no racism. But, and I, that, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point, but I, I think it's... It's not, well, I don't agree with it, but like another thing that, well, since we're staying on critical race theory, it's almost, it's, in a re, it's a re examination of what race even is or what racism even is. I think the sort of more naive uh, read on what racism is uh, in the past, in the 70s and the 80s, is that boiling racism down to interpersonal relationships, interpersonal reactions, and, you know, it lives within an individual person. And it's almost, it's, it's basically drawing, uh, likening racism to just bullying. Oh, we've all been bullied, you know, and, 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 and kind of, you know, it, we just got to kind of get over it. You got to kind of get thick skin. And I got bullied because I was overweight or, you know, she got bullied because she was, you know, was, was on crutches in high school or something. That's all that racism is. It really only exists on an interpersonal level, and critical race theory says, and even just larger scholarship outside of critical race theory, says, wait a second, racism actually is, is a lot bigger than this. It doesn't exist on an individual plane because to go to it again, 
racism is not real. It is not biological. It is it is socially constructed. It exists in America in a particular way, but not in the same way in other countries, save maybe Brazil. Right. And you got to ask, why is it that why is it that way? You know, we've all had friends that come from the UK or, or, or whatever, and race isn't quite the same way to them that it is to us. So then you got to ask why? Why is it that way? If it's not biological, if it's not natural, then what the hell is, it, is going on? So then you got to investigate like the sort of our history and the institutions. And then we're sort of saying we're redefining racism to be um, at the group level, at the institutional level, at the sort of the, you know, American founding level, which we can we can talk about. But then it's not only is recasting it outside of just individual hatefulness or bullying. It's saying that, well, racism also seems to have be kind of instrumental in certain things that we do. They have, there must be some utility here in racism. I think there's something going on outside of just hate. I hate you. I want to denigrate you. That's not really what racism is. It's part of that. But if you want to boil it down just to that, then I completely agree. If, if our definition of racism is interpersonal hate, then I agree. Like, yeah, let's not obsess over it. Let's talk about other things. Let's 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 fish out our commonalities and move past hatefulness. I agree to that. But if that's not what racism is, and racism is a, is a much, you know, larger, sophisticated thing that is historical and creates a lot of causal events that, you know, create modern inequalities, then it is something that we need to look into and educate ourselves on. And I think, again, that takes the burden off of individuals. There is no shame in that. There's no feelings about that at all. Mm -hmm. These are institutions that are out of the hands of the individual, you know, uh, uh, you know, a white girl learning about it in high school. So I, I think that like that's getting that through to people's heads is I think it, it creates a, a different notion around it. You know, but we won't because there's there's it's, it's been politicized a certain way. And, you know, you, people are locking into their tribes. So we won't get there. Mm. But maybe we will, Ponto, you and I. I listen, man, I, I'd like to. It sounds that you agree <laughs> with something the right would say, which is the word racism is getting too many at bats. I sure. I Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I want to use other words. I absolutely do. Like cast. Don't get me started. These guys hate me when I. But yes. Well, no, I mean, like, listen, I mean, like, like, let's go back to the child mortality to the black woman right now who's pregnant and, and is and right. is potentially looking at a child mortality, childhood mortality rate that's different. Four you times know, the rate. Child, yeah, four times. Uh, mother and infant mortality. Black mothers are dying. Their babies are dying. Four times the rate. That four is a great statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I'm, and I'm using it because my wife is pregnant right now. It's tragic. If the cause mm -hmm. is if if how we want to run, if how the right and the left are, yeah. are where the friction point is, is, oh, that's racism. The planes are just not getting off the tarmac to solve the problem, I feel like. And, and I feel that yeah. if the left wants to if the left wants to march that under the flag of racism, the right is just you're not going to find a receptor on the right. Um, and, and, and for that sure. great tragedy that, by the way, the, the right is very all the family value stuff on the conservative side like I and mean, there, there should be a lot of priming there to be extremely sympathetic to childhood mortality specifically but it seems that it's a poison yeah. pill that it deads the whole thing to fly it under the racism flag and it also based on what you said seems like it's that's academically dishonest and inaccurate i agree it is academically 
academically dishonest and inaccurate just to fixate on that that but that's a great point if it, it you know you're, you're sort of if you just if you just only look at that statistic and you decontextualize it from all the other things it, it, it can be you know it, it's it's not as as um educational as it could be i mean that's a great point but then you take you take that and you add it with uh you know, black people as a group in America being at the bottom of of every single uh, indicator of well-being, wealth, inequality, jury selection, incarceration, getting painkillers in the hospital, you know, uh, you know, getting undergrad degrees or just all of these. You know what I mean? There's disparities in every group. There's disparities in every group. But then you see, oh, this is one group that has disparities in every single category simultaneously. What is that? Mm. Are they doing are they just irresponsible? Uh, are they, you know, are, are they sort of bloodsuckers on society? Uh, what is what's 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 with this group? So it's 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 you're 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 adding up all of the, the 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 metrics of well-being, and you're saying, wow, this group is just at the bottom of every single category. There must be something else going on here. And all I want to do is start with that premise, you know, rather than just cherry picking specific uh, specific things. Do you feel that that note that 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 the sentiment that you just so beautifully articulated? Do you feel that that is the sentiment on the left behind the 1619 CRT complex? Not always. Is- not always. No, not always. Uh, you, I mean, you bring up a good point, Ponto. We have crazies on the left that are like, uh, you know, uh, want to talk about these things in very ahistorical ways or, 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 or without scholarship uh, or, you know, that are demonstrably false. But uh, I agree with that. I totally agree. But I but I just think the, the, the left is a little bit more self-correcting um, uh, about those things. We can get we'll get better at it. But there's a lot of passion on the left. Absolutely. But there's a lot of infighting on the left as well. But I just think that there's there's less infighting on the right or self-correcting on the right. Um, you know, uh, there's there's an asymmetry there that that I think is interesting. I and I, you know, I, again, I, I wish I had more time here, but you know, like I kind of want to like, I basically want to use this. I, I want to use like my thinking to Trojan horse the best of these ideas into the right. Like I like like I I want to bridge a contact point uh, between the right and the left. These culture wars are getting us nowhere. They're disgusting. There's there and and it's and it's drawing out the worst in us. It's like to be a combatant in the combat war in, in the in the culture wars, you have to grab the weapons of the worst of your side uh, on the right, on the right, on the right and the left. And so, you know, I, I, I mentioned on our call earlier that you know, I'm just obsessed with this notion of divergence. Like, where do the sides diverge? The right is extremely sympathetic for a childhood mortality rate that's four times the average. That's terrible. There's not a single person on the right, that, except for you know, actual actual races. You know, the mainstream America we can get can get behind that. So where is the divergence? Where where how is it that we've gotten to this entrenched place? And I think that this notion of I think it goes upstream of CRT and the 1619 project. I think it goes upstream of that. And I think it's the notion of systemic racism, and and its pervasiveness, and how if you articulate systemic racism to your point, you're like, listen. Here's black people in all these categories. It's it's, it's education, it's healthcare, so 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 forth. I think there needs to be work there. I think that we that that the right and the left need to come together over that idea and get a better agreement of it. Because right now, if you say the word systemic racism, a lot of people on the right chop it off at the knees, and they're like, ah, that's just that thing where everything's racist. You know what I mean? That's just that thing where if I trip and fall and get mud on my pants, it's because of racism. Is like like and and the and then the right and then you start getting onto like the the trans and Normandy stuff and then 
and then everything falls apart. So like, so like, how can we get to that divergent point of saying like, listen, like it's not people. It, it's, it's, we're not trying to find hate. We're not trying to find racists necessarily, although let's keep finding them and cleaning them out. But what we're trying to figure out is these, even the word systemic, I would counsel the left. If you guys talk to your people, uh, like, like what's like, maybe like get rid of the word systemic and let's definitely get rid of the word critical race theory. Like, like, let's like use some more words. And I think systemic and the word racism, I think I just have been overused. And, and I, and I think that the right, and I, I don't know, you, maybe the right, the right needs to bend on a bunch of stuff too, but there's like a, there's like a synapse that's not firing somewhere around the notion of the systemic, the systemic level. I'm not sure changing the words will change the sentiment and emotion and foundation of where people are coming from with not liking each other. But I, I, I think the takeaway from what you said for me was like how disgusting the culture war, wars are and how all these buzzwords, like no matter what the buzzword is, it's just causing more division. And I would like to work with you if you have a plan and somehow support that and, you know, trying to heal our divided nation in some way. Jess, I, I, I would love nothing more than to help even by, you know, one small iota uh, of, of my effort towards that. I would be so rewarded. Um, guys, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I, I, I love, you know, hearing Pronto. how you think and talk. And, uh, you know, Pronto. if you ever have me back, I'd be delighted to unpack this stuff more. So thank you very much. Okay. All right. Be well, everybody. Peace, Ponto.